Hello. Hello. Industry. Industry. Hi everybody. Welcome back to Industry Tactics, my podcast. My name is Friendly Rich. And uh, I hope you've been enjoying these little side podcasts that I've been doing. Trying to keep busy and smiling and laughing during the pandemic. Uh, the Friendly's Vinyl Pap. Uh, hope you're enjoying those. You can let us know what you're thinking anytime. Tweet us at Industry Tactics. Concurrently, um, hope you're all safe and healthy. I'm, I'm you know... The deep dive into the world of Doug Friesen and the impact that he's had on music and music education uh, kind of started on March 12th when I interviewed him. And uh, it seemed like the day later, the rest of the world uh, shut down. So trying not to, as much as I'm trying not to place these podcasts in any given um, moment in our history, we're certainly all living through this thing. And I hope you're all doing well and, and staying healthy. Um yeah, I had a great conversation. Uh, it was apparently his first podcast, and you'll hear from him. Leland Witte, who who also is one of the uh, the students of Doug Friesen's uh, from the early 2000s when he studied with him at Rosedale Heights School of the Arts. A great conversation. We go all over the world with Leland, um, and we even shout out that, that Monday night ritual at the Cameron House, which we're all missing dearly right now. Uh, the Bruce and Tom show, no, that was an important thing, and and it continues. By the way, it's one of the only shows to continue through through the the quarantine on Twitch. Check that out. So uh, this is it, Mike. Episode number eighty five already. Very exciting to reach that plateau. We're we're creeping up on a hundred episodes of Industry Tactics. This is my lovely conversation. One of the members of Bad Bad Not Good and a fine musician here in the city of Toronto. This is my talk with. Leland Cleveland. All right, I'll stop. Leland Witty, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy. Welcome to Industry Tactics, right on time. <laughs> hey, there oh. we go. How's it going? I'm well. How are you doing, man? Pretty good. Good to see you. Yeah, you too. Yeah. How you been doing uh, in quarantine times? Uh, doing all right. Hanging in there, you know. You, you all right? Welcome to the podcast. I'm recording, so just be yourself. All right, perfect. This is my first podcast interview. Is it? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm honored to have you on, man. Let's yeah. mess this up. We won't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I listened to the, the one you did with Doug. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. 
That gives you an idea of what I'm up to. For sure, yeah. Yeah, it's great. You have a lot of them though. Deep there are there are, yeah. No, I'm honored to have you on. You've been on you've been on my list anyway. And then when I you know, Doug mentioned your name, I went, All right, well here we go. Yeah. Do you mind if I call you Cleveland? I seem to have called you Cleveland a hundred times on that on that other podcast with Doug. Yeah. I figure that's the you know par for the course at this point. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I'll stop. I'll stop. It's just not funny. so yeah man thanks for being on uh and thanks for being right on time yeah no problem that tells me a lot uh are you are you a pretty punctual person i try to be but you know i don't i feel like there's not too many things in my life that i have to be like super punctual for but i do get anxiety from being late sometimes (laughs) i try my best say no more say no more you're in good company uh yeah, man. I appreciate, uh, appreciate that. Do you now? I've had a theory as of late though. Do you think that being on time actually matters at all in the grand scheme of things? Like, no, when, not really. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. Okay, good. Good. I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah. <laughs> I always used to think like it mattered, but I actually don't. I think like I, when I look at people's careers and what they're up to and the bigger picture, I'm just like, just beat to your own drum. Try yeah. to time. I'm not saying be disrespectful to people. Yeah. I mean, that's where it falls mostly for me. I just don't like the idea of like, if it's a bigger organized event, like it's just disrespecting people's time. But at the same time, I feel like, I don't know, there's not, too much urgency in most things in life that we actually need to be on time for. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, we're into it. Um, Leland Witte, tell, tell us, tell, tell, let's give a little introduction uh, of you to our loyal listenership. Um, How do you introduce yourself? How do, how are we going to do this? I don't know. I've never done this. (laughs) Let me walk you through it. Yeah, I know you as uh, you're a, you're a horn player, right? Primarily, yeah. but that's not even the truth, right? Yeah, I'd say primarily like saxophonist and woodwind kind of. Yeah, bass clarinet. Guy. I've seen you do some some damage. Yeah, bass clarinet, and and you're also a member of Bad Bad Not Good, correct? Yeah. What else? Let's give the Coles notes on you. What else? Uh, you're a composer. Yeah, I write music produce music uh i'm a multi-instrumentalist um Mm -hmm. i guess that's sort of (laughs) yeah that's good that's good we're gonna get into it we're gonna get into it and and part of the reason we want to wrap all of this interview around is that you went to um rosedale heights school of the arts is that right that is correct Okay, and what and what era? Like, what what uh, time frame were you at that high school? It was two thousand and four to two thousand and eight. Okay, uh, studied with with Doug Friesen and David Hayes and um, don't know her first name, but Miss yeah. Editor. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, but that, I think that like also just since like I obviously we're going to be talking a lot about Doug. Um, yeah. I think it coincided with maybe he had been teaching at Rosedale for like a year or two prior to me getting there. Okay. So, okay. So you're yeah. pretty early, your early days with Doug then like in yeah. his career too as a teacher. Okay, cool. Cool. And, um, and you're, you, I met your dad at the Cameron house 
dad. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I felt really blessed to meet him that night. I don't use that word often, but it was, a, it was a real treat, you know? And, and, um, so, so I bring that up because I, I feel like you're from a, a really musical family. Like who, who are the members of your family? Let's start with your dad. Yeah. So my dad, Brian Whitty is, um, bassist and singer, songwriter, and guitarist. Uh, my mom, Marion Graham, is, um, she got, like, likes to dabble in like piano and guitar and singing. And uh, wow. my, my brothers, they're twins, Graham Whitty and Lowell Whitty. Graham's a local gigging, working musician, bassist, and same with hey. Lowell, who's a drummer. Oh, wow. <laughs> what a family band. And, and you all play on your dad's record recent record right is that right yeah that's that's right um they about five years ago they retired and moved to uh, an island off of nanaimo called protection island and yeah so my my dad made a rec like wrote a bunch of songs and made a record out there um and just booked a recording session when the three of us were out to visiting him <laughs> so, so we played on two songs and then the rest feature nanaimo musicians that is really sweet. What was that like to, uh, was that lost on you or were you like, no, this is a, this is a special thing to be here with all. all it's, yeah, it's definitely special. I mean, yeah. I think just like I'm constantly like in studios and making music with different people, but I think just to see my dad uh, kind of in like a more vulnerable state was pretty cool because he was like pretty nervous and worried about, you know, he's like, singing on record for the first time <laughs> and like oh. doing it with his, his son. So I think it's, it's special. And just to see like the emotions that he was going through was, was cool. And that was sort of like the thing that I took away from it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, yeah. So, so, so you studied in early two thousands with Doug and why don't we start there? I just wanted to bring up your, your family because it sounds like you just grew up around music. Like it was just a part of... Where'd you grow up? In, in Toronto? Yeah, in the East End, Toronto. Okay. Yeah. Great, great. Mm -hmm. and, and so you go to Rosedale and are, are you already kind of figuring out, like are you already playing a horn by that time or, or were you, did that come later? No, so when I was six, I started playing violin. And then I guess when I like, I want to say around 12 or 13, I started playing guitar and then I, like, I went to Rosedale kind of with the intention of hoping that like I'd pursue becoming a better guitarist and stuff. But um, hmm. yeah, so in, in grade nine, I was in, put into like Doug's beginner band class and then I, uh, he sort of suggested that I play saxophone and then it stuck. <laughs> that became my main wow. issue. Yeah. Wow. And so, so uh, maybe what do you, like how, how important is Doug? It sounds like he's pretty important then in terms of your musical development and what he brought. Like, uh, like he's part of the reason why you're playing a horn today, in fact. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, cause I went to Humber College afterwards, which is like a pretty intense music program, but I feel mm -hmm. like there's still, um, I guess the importance of Doug is there's like concepts, I guess, that he sort of put forward that kind of are like long lasting, like more like life, life goals sort of things, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, definitely like a lot of what he put forth is, has, was at that point and continues to be like a source of inspiration. Mm, great to hear. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, 
and yeah, like how, how did he sort of blow your mind at the time? Like, do you remember some of the experiences just being in that? I think you were cited as being in some of those early bands, right? Yeah. Close. Yeah. Um, I, f- I guess like the first impact from him was that he just had a, like looking back at that grade nine class I had with him, he did a thing called crazy music Fridays or wacky music Fridays or something where he would just play stuff that he assumed that 14 year olds had never heard before. So that's when I got introduced to like Steve Reich and John Cage and John Zorn and like, I don't know, late Coltrane and yeah. Mark Rabot and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Did you get to meet Rabot when he came to town or when you guys went to New York? I didn't. Um, I, uh, there was a, I mean, I, that's another cool thing too, is like for high school students have to be able to like work with some of the, New York musicians that Doug brought up. Mark Rabot, that thing happened before I was at the school, but um, mm-hmm. I had a chance to work with uh, this band called Tift, which is like Jim Black, uh, Andrew D'Angelo, and Hilmar Jensen, which are wow. it's like a, a band and, and musicians that I still really love and listen to. And then yeah. uh, Trevor Dunn and Eva Batova came. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. That is special, man. It's yeah, it's special, but it's also one of those things where I didn't really fully understand the impact of it, or like how hard it would be to do at that age. Good, how, good, look, look, good. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> I mean, that's try. That's part of what I'm trying to to really touch on with these interviews. Like, I yeah. think it's super special. I also think touching on it, like what, like 15 years later, is is that how long you've been out of? Yeah, I guess uh, 12 years I graduated. My math is bad, but yeah. like like 12 years later yeah. is like, it I think does allow you a moment to go like, holy shit, yeah, like that was not normal what we were doing. And and it left a really lasting impression on, on you and many others, it seems, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and do you keep a lot of, like I'm assuming you keep in touch with a lot of, those uh those folks that that went to high school with you at that yeah for for sure um which is also abnormal yeah in my experience anyways i'm not in in touch with many many of my cohorts from back then yeah i mean that's that's like one of uh, another thing that was got to have listened to doug's interview with you because it um i think from my bubble like the years that i was at rosedale and like yeah in terms of the age group um those are people that are like more directly in my network and that I still keep in touch with. But then just hearing him talk about like how, you know, there's students that were like way older than me and younger than me that are like, that you know them, you know them now kind of. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know them all personally, but like, you know, I've heard about them, but, um, and then it's, it's just really interesting to me to like see the scope of, even if you're just talking about musicians that have kind of gone through studying with Doug, it ranges from, I don't know, like, folk songwriters to like free jazz and like improvisers to like classical musicians and like rock musicians or like, yeah, it's all over the place, but I, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like interesting because there's a, I guess to, to bring it back to the crazy music Friday thing, I think after all the like more avant-garde music that Doug played, there's one time when he played musicology by Prince and that's sort of where, when it hit me where like there's, more of like a unified mm-hmm. thing in music than I thought. It's not like as categorized or like specific. There's like an overarching um, concept that I guess he's right. putting forth, you know? Right, 
Right, right, right, right. And um, yeah, I think it says a lot. You're right to the fact that like it was crossing genres all the time. Like yeah. it really seems like that's the musical diet that Doug wants to to serve, you know. And and I think there's a real power in that. In that, well, look, you guys are all proof in the pudding, right? Like what you just kind of said, like. Mm it's not like he just raised like a fine young batch of jazz musicians who stay in their lane. It's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. 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 Which uh, I guess like also yeah. even beyond the music thing, I think one of the concepts that he was talking about early on was that he wanted his students to take something away from, from just like what he like the information that he was putting forth, even if they had no interest in pursuing music beyond. So, I th- and I think that that, like at this point, I'm not like in touch with a lot of those people, but I'm sure I'm sure they still have like you know memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's also what I'm kind of fascinated by is I, I I've been talking a lot lately about like the batting average of like all all of those kind of um, musicians. It's like that's kind of what I, what I what inspired me to want to dig into this thing is that it's like there was something there, and it's like you know they say whoa there must have been something in the water. Uh, it's like there was something there in terms of the the substance of what Doug was putting forward. I don't think it was a mistake. Like there, you know, in the curriculum that he was just sort of forming on his own that made you all who you are today. I think. I think it's. I don't want to. You know, I don't. I, Doug's a pretty humble guy, and I don't. I don't want to put him on the spot for this kind of thing. But I think there was something there, and that's what I'm trying to learn a little more of with each of these interviews. Is like. Yeah, it crossed genres like very naturally and made all of that seem normal, right? Yeah, for sure. The Freaky Friday music became like when you went back on Monday, it started to be normalized. I think, and, and so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. For sure. um, but yeah, you know, it 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 seemed like there were some risks being taken that that might have gone under the radar. That yeah, for sure. Away with, uh, did you end up going to New York on any of those trips, or were I did? Yeah, I went. Uh, I, I, maybe in like 2007 or 8 I went to New oh, yeah. York and um, that time we like the, the music portion of that trip was we did a workshop with Chris Hoffman the cellist um, yeah he's really amazing and then uh, saw his band at the Stone which is like you know you know the Stone yeah. right <laughs> yeah sure sure um, and that's just I mean like and how old are you how old are you when you're eight, like going going to the Stone at what like I must have been like 17 or something yeah yeah yeah, man. Um, it's special. It's just you know, like New York's just like the it's like the capital for that kind of like avant-garde jazz music. So like to get that experience, like there's so much great music happening in Toronto, but it's like a, di- a different feeling when you're like there in the yeah, you know, and that was like really inspiring for sure. Yeah, yeah, neat. Um, all right, well let's let's uh, let's give our listeners a little. Uh, a little taste of, of some of your music. Let's start with um, what you just released, if that's cool with you. Yeah. Through the Looking Glass here. This is a, a, a is this a, a duet record that you just put out? Yeah, it was a collaborative record that I made with Matthew Tavares, a good friend of yeah. mine. And, uh, but so yeah, like 50% of that music was written and uh, performed like in a quartet vibe with uh, Matt Chalmers on drums and Julian Anderson Bowes on bass. Okay. Uh, yeah, so half the record was written and then half of it was just improvised, but like all, all recorded in one day. Oh, wow. 
So this this one is one of the first improv songs that we did.
Uh, well, thanks. That, that's a, what a what a beautiful atmosphere. Yeah, I love that we're starting out with that. So, um, so you go all over the place now in your career as well, right? Like musically, you're kind of you're doing all kinds of of, uh, of wonderful things. Where uh, I mean, where has where has music taken you? So you you go from we'll get back to the to the Doug adventures at at Rosedale for sure. But you go from Rosedale. Do you go straight through to? Um, to Humber after you graduate? Yeah. Was that your path? Yeah. 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 Did did you finish Humber? Uh yes. No, no technically no. <laughs> I did four years, but, but I have some lingering credits that I'm working on. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, you're making me proud. You're making me proud. So we got another one, real musician on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> friends friends of the show. Um, no, I, I don't know. There's something kind of special about that too, of just kind of leaving a couple of, of things unfinished just because, right? Mm-hmm. So why, why, why do you have those credits unfinished, uh, Leland? Um, it... Life took over, I guess. Yeah, basically. It yeah. Is? yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, that, that, that's beautiful. So, so at the time that you're doing um, Humber, what kind of opportunities are unfolding that, that distract you from Humber then? Like, how was that? Um, well, partially I, I just like, when I was in my fourth year at Humber, I decided to like leave a few courses. I didn't do my full course load and then took a year off and then went back to do some of them. And then it's just been, that's been lingering since like 2015 or whatever. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, it, it just didn't like, I mean, I do, it's, I feel stupid whenever I think about it because it's like, may as well finish it. I think I have three courses left, but at the same time, I just don't fully think that there would be any change in my life if I had a degree. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like that. I didn't mean to make it a point of contention. I meant to make it a point of celebration. Right. Oh, I got distracted. And then I went down this beautiful wormhole. It seems like, uh, you know, and hell you're right. It is always there. Yeah. If you feel the, the compulsion to do it, you know? Yeah. Five years isn't such a long time that you've taken this, this beautiful break. So kind of where, so where do you go from there? Straight into bad, bad, not good. Or were you doing, were you kind of forming that while you were in, while you were in, uh, Uh, so I guess bad, bad formed in 2012, uh, in Eritrea before I joined, it was a few years later until I actually, I think 2015 was when I like officially joined. Um, so that in between period, uh, I was just, I don't know, like being a working musician and teaching music and doing the classic things, you know, (laughs) trying to figure out like kind of just going through the process of like being one of those musicians that just tries to say yes to every gig opportunity without kind of, uh, formulating any sort of individuality, I guess, which kind of came a bit more important or more of a priority later to me yeah yeah so so what are some of the gigs that you remember saying yes to at the time uh i mean like i guess like doing like wedding band things uh Mm -hmm. various bands um okay i yeah i mean i guess at that point i was like gigging a lot with this band called bf soul and the joyful sinners and band called tesseract um Mm -hmm. but i mean it's like it's hard to i feel like the, the nature of every musician, it just kind of shifts a lot over the years, you know? 
Yeah, and what, um, how are your brothers um, helping? So are you, where do you sit in the line of your brothers? Are you younger than, yeah, you're younger than. Yeah, I'm the youngest one. And they're, they're twins that are two years older than me. Um, okay, okay. How yeah, so I guess, like, Lowell was, like, a big source of inspiration for me, too, because, like, even when we were in high school, he already was a gigging musician. Like, he was playing Grossman's every Saturday, and, like, he, I think when he was 18, he toured Europe, which was, like, crazy to me, <laughs> with yeah. the Happy Pals, and then, um, yeah, it just seemed so, like, normal, and part of it's, like, when I was, like, you know, 16, I just, like, he'd be, like, going to bars to play, and coming home at like 3 a.m. And, <laughs> and and did did he study with uh with Dougie as well? He did, yeah. He yeah. and Graham, right? Graham did as well, yeah. Um, oh, this is exciting. So all of a sudden we got ourselves what we call a triple bill. Should I should, do you think that I would get an interview if I asked the twins to do it at the same time cuz they're Yeah, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> they're oh, used to that. Yeah, that might be a little disrespectful, but I'd love to chat with them too about about what the the impact that Doug has had on 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 their musical lives. That's exciting. For sure. Cool, man. Um so so you had those role models and uh and the family band, the Power Trio could have been was strong at that time. Did, did, were you playing a lot with them? Would they bring you into the fold at all whenever they could? Um, not as much as you'd think, I guess, but yeah, I mean, yeah. definitely a little bit. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like there's a few chances that like Lowell gave me opportunities to like sub into bands that he was playing with. That was pretty intimidating for me at the time, but Great. I don't know. It's that's how you learn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Mm. And, uh, and so they had that relationship with Doug too. So when, when you first met Doug, he would have known your last name essentially, right? Did it like, he yeah, already well, about you. I guess that was a funny thing too. Cause Lowell, um, just the, in terms of the timeline, Lowell went to Rosedale and Graham went to a separate high school and then Graham did his victory lap at Rosedale. So the timeline of them knowing Doug wasn't actually lined up. But, um, for me, when I was in grade nine in that beginner band class, I was talking about earlier, Lowell was actually like the peer tutor, or, like Doug's assistant in the class. <laughs> oh, that's awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was a little harder on you for obvious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great, great, yeah. great. Um, well, okay, cool. Like, like, well, I mean, what are some of the other things that that struck you or left um, a, a, a fond memory or like a, a, a was it was a game changer for you that you can attest back to Doug or link back to him? Um. Jeez. I mean, I guess when I was in grade 10, there's this class that he had that was just called like the repertoire class that was kind of given to him as like with the understanding that that would be the pit band for the musical at the end of the year. But um, throughout the entire year is like, I guess his first chance to have a class that was a bit more experimental, like because basically like uh, the entire year up until April was left for whatever he wanted to do. Um and that was sort of the real thing that kind of exposed me to just like free improvising and like all of the um, listening exercises and stuff that he's, you know, likes to, to preach. <laughs> um, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and then like being introduced to just like 
like actually playing compositions by like Armory Schaefer and you know like playing graphic scores and stuff like that um great um but I guess through that process since it was like kind of a new experimental thing for him he really had this he kind of like changed the the traditional role of what I thought a teacher would be like he would really he's kind of like uh definitely like a leader in in the sense but like he kind of took on more of a student role like there's no sort of difference in anybody's status like we're all kind of just learning from each other in a way and like experimenting and that that I think provided this really healthy interesting learning experience so he stood out from to like from, from some of the other teachers I guess in terms of the way he he ran a class or if it, yeah because like, like i guess he'd like you know like start of every class he would pro- provide some sort of ideas or concepts that we would talk about and have like some game plan but um would be completely open to derailing that if a student suggested like an, a different idea you know yeah mm-hmm. i i also love the fact that like you're you're i think you're kind of pointing to the fact that like some of the real learning would happen from April on. It's like, okay, we got all the quote unquote requirements done yeah. and let's let our, let our, let our guard down a little bit. And, and, and then some of those ideas would have stuck with you even more, it seems. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, who were some of your peers back then? Like you mentioned that they're still kind of in your network. Who, do, who are some of the people that you remember back then that you still keep in touch with? Um, Chris Whitley is a violinist that was there that was like Keeley. He's in this string quartet, Talia string quartet. They're based in Austin now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been able to work with him a bunch, uh, like after Rosedale. And then we sort of reconnected right. a few years ago. Um, Evan Cartwright's another one who's just like a, another incredible musician, drummer and, and beyond. Um, and, um, I mean, there's, I guess there's lots of people that I can stay in touch with and maybe don't create music with on a consistent basis. But I mean, I like, I, sure. I like, you know, like people like uh, Aaron Como and Wesley Allen and um, Jim O'Brien, my brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's so many people. It's hard. To... Yeah. No, that's cool. That's That's good to know. And, um, and and finally, do you do you keep in touch with Doug? Yeah, I do actually. I was talking to him yesterday. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a that... neighbor of sort of like he lives a five minute walk away from me. Um, oh, that's beautiful. But yeah, we uh, we definitely stay in touch, and we and I mean not any in this current state, but we were um, last year we were playing a lot in my brother's band and. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. And we made a, a record that's out now. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, through that I was playing and seeing him a lot. Who else is in that band with with? That's Doug? with um, Karen Ng and Karen. Gareth, yeah, okay. Gareth Perry. Great, great. Yeah. Neat. Yeah, for sure. Let's um, let's play a little tr- a track here. Uh, your se- the second track you gave me was disappearance at Clifton Hill Part One. Uh, yeah, film a film that came out last year. So you've been scoring films as well. Yeah, this is that's the first uh, and only film I've done. But yeah, uh, what was that like? I love this track that we're gonna hear. Yeah, uh, 
I mean, the process of that was very, it's something like I've always wanted to do. Um, and it was really interesting because I, I did it with my friend, Alex Swinsky and yes, they really like, it's funny. Cause like when we started doing it, I was trying to like think of like all this more like traditional roles of what I assumed a film composer would be, but the director was constantly pushing it to be more avant-garde. So, um, oh. uh, the song I actually sent you is like, that's like the sort of theme for the whole movie. But yeah, every, yeah. If you check out the rest of the soundtrack, it gets way more experimental and noisy cool. and stuff. Um, cool. And it's, uh, you could check that out on Spotify. It's, it's out. It's fully accessible. I see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Here it comes now. Disappearance at Clifton Hill. Part one. Yeah, that is a that is a cool vibe. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and so, so what you kind of co, you took that project on with Alexander Sawinski, like you guys co yeah. collaborated on that. Yeah. Um, so Alex is also like uh, my bandmate in Bad Bad Not Good. So we have a very long relationship working together. Um, awesome, awesome. It sounds beautiful. Thanks. And you want to you want to try to get into more of that kind of work? Is that is that something that you would love to to do? Yeah, for sure. I'd love doing it. Um, it's really interesting to like use music as a a very supportive role to like a, a bigger like to have like a clear concept and plot line and emotional content that's given to you through visuals and and storytelling and stuff and and to just enhance that through music the best way you can is really interesting. 
The film yeah. looks that looks wacky, eh? Yeah, it is pretty kooky. I do recommend and, checking it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um uh and and um it it is a, it is really neat to kind of see the soundtrack get how how it gets gets used and placed and the way it's it's used in the film versus, you know, that what we just heard, I I guess, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. It's function as as music on 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 its own versus supporting a, a visual and a narrative. Yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah, I guess it was just ahead. one. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just gonna say, like, it, uh, the director really wanted it to be scored in like a horror movie kind of approach. So, which isn't directly in line with the the plot. So it's it's cool to have the music kind of like impose an emotion that might not be there otherwise. Yeah, got it, got it. And and so the first track that we played um, was it was a collaboration between you and Matthew Tavares. Also, yeah. I'm assuming uh, one of your or, 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 or he's no longer in Bad Bad Not Good. Is that yeah, a, a former yeah. okay, a former yeah. member. But that's great, right? Like, yeah. It's like still these collaborations and and communities kind of continue to build between you and and those you're collaborating with, and then. Um, Alexander, also a member of Bad, Bad, Not Good. So, so you see kind of like these offshoots. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love seeing that kind of uh, community or family build from the collaborative uh, relationships that you develop. Or, uh, what are some other examples of that in, in your career that you can point to? Um, like in terms of collaboration? Um, yeah, like just like like little offshoots that kind of start to ferment or grow into other areas. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, like the, I feel like part of the reason for that was that bad, bad became such a full-time thing starting from like 2015 until like 2000, the beginning of 2019, I guess. So like last, last year was sort of a chance to like everyone take a breather and work on other things. And to me, like, I mean, like, that's what the beauty of music is always. Like, I love writing and working on music my, by myself, but I think the real sparks happen when you're, like, working with other people. So some of the sure. things that, some of the things that happened last year to me was a lot of which you were there for is the Tom and Brewer show. Yeah, um, yeah. The weekly gig that was happening at the Cameron House. Um, the ritualistic like, uh, element there is is so special to me. Right? Yeah. It's the weekly rigor of doing something with friends, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is like, I feel like pretty, I mean, you had a residency there on the same night mm-hmm. as well. So you know mm-hmm. the feeling, but it's it's hard to come by those things. And and you really get a, it's it's kind of like the best way to move forward. And also because your music is, is always kind of changing and developing, like to have that thing where you have a reoccurring thing and you can't really go back to your habits because then the music is going to, it's either can go up or down. And if you kind of like start falling into the same rituals, it starts to, to die. I think so like you're yeah. kind of forces everyone involved to just constantly push themselves or throw something new. And then the other beautiful thing about the Tom and Bruce show is that they would bring in other collaborators every, every yeah. week. It's just yeah. even, you can't help but change and develop. And yeah. 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 No, that's very special. I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up. That's. I'm. I'm happy that that sits within our interview. Yeah, <laughs> the Tom and Bruce show is just very important. You know. Yeah, and it's you know one of the few gigs that's still going strong during uh, COVID times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> ain't no, ain't no virus gonna t- gonna bring them down. I love it. I love it. Twitch, right? They're yeah, twitching. they're twitching. 
Yeah. Uh, are you are you involved in that through through Twitch? Are you? Uh, no, I haven't. Are, are you twitching in? I I've, I've twitched in before, but I haven't I haven't you know performed. Okay, <laughs> okay I've checked it out periodically. Uh, so okay, good man. Uh, and and like, can you talk about like uh, just what that ride was like for the experience it, being in Bad Bad Not Good and where that's taken you? Because that seems to have taken you all over the place. Yeah, um, in terms of touring, it's... Um, touring, just collaborations, projects, like people you've had the opportunity to work with through that. Like, it seems vast. I've, I, I find it hard to follow. Yeah, it's... I mean, like, every aspect of it has been huge and overwhelming for me, um, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, but it, like, it kind of just... I don't know. Like, being able to travel just, like, puts a lot of different like the perspectives of different people through music and, and else like and other things. Um, it's just really interesting to like play festivals where you can see artists from different areas of the world and meet some of them. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's like a, just like a kind of crazy thing to like have a music that you've written and performed it on the, the national kind of stage and, and see how it, comes across it's i feel like very blessed to have that opportunity yeah yeah has that um has has seeing some of those wormholes just fully like uh, uh has that changed your perspective on on what music can be like when when you were first starting out at, at rosedale and seeing it kind of go in all these wonderful areas has that kind of changed your perspective on what music can be or what music is and sorry for bad bad or for uh yeah or well, just yeah. In, in general but i mean if i i'm i'm talking about bad bad in in a lot of ways there just because i've seen kind of like some of the golden opportunities that it seems like or doors that that's opened up for you i just wonder like yeah has that does that cha- change the way you think of music or or how you go about or yeah i, I don't know just it's music is such a weird and beautiful nebulous thing for all of us. Right. I yeah. Just, you know, it's, it, it opens up so many interesting doors and adventures. I just wonder yeah. if, if that experience has changed that for you in a good yeah. way. In like, yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like as, a, you know, when I was like 12 or whatever, it's like at the first point of like when I was starting to write music, I, I think everything was sort of boxed in and then going to Rosedale, it kind of opened up, through Doug and other people, like it kind of opened up my doors of being able to like create with people that aren't in, in coming from a different world, like especially through free improv. Like that's one of the most beautiful things I think about it for me. And then uh, continuing that on to Bad Bad, I think uh, just the prior to Bad Bad, I, my like view as a musician was that like you just play your instrument in a room with other people and that's how music is created. But I think yeah. through that, through Bad Bad, it kind of like introduced me to like the world of production and, and home studios and how like yeah, every, yeah. everybody can create music and write music and in any skill level and any, you know, like source of inspiration or like whatever their resources is. Like at this point, basically, mm-hmm. if you have a, a phone or a laptop or whatever, you can make music production, you know. Are you, are you, are you, uh, I, I don't know all that you bring to, to Bad Bad, but is that, is that something that, your um like are you bringing a lot of that to to the table in terms of like production and, and stuff like that like are, how, how, how do you guys collaborate in that manner um yeah i mean it was 
like when I first started writing and playing with them, I honestly didn't like I barely knew anything about recording. But now, yeah, that's kind of for the past few several years now. It's been like one of the main things I've been trying to spend my time learning. Um, and then, I mean, at this point now, we're all kind of at a pretty confident level with our own like recording and production skills. Um, Cool. which is kind of good because of the times because I haven't seen those guys in three months. So we're just emailing yeah. and we're not like, we're, we're good at keeping it going, but we're not like the most productive and inspired through um, all, like all this technology is amazing, but I think there's yeah. Yeah. even for us, it's just better to be in a room creating. Yep. Yep. I understand that. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I'm oh, sorry. The, uh, the vibe of what we're in right now just pulled me out of the interview. I apologize. No, it's, <laughs> it's so difficult, right? Like in terms of, but, but I do get it. And, and I do appreciate those elements of like what can be even carried on now. Right. So whereas when it's all stripped away, it's like, okay, well th- these voices can still kind of yeah. connect. And that, and that's really special too. Mm-hmm. Um, um yeah, no, that that's great too. I that is kind of what I was I was looking to hear in terms of I I don't know that's that's nice to hear that 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 it, that it's um it's kind of and I know you 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 know you've worked with so many so many uh, interesting artists. Has that ever been intimidating for you? Like, was there ever a moment of like, holy shit, or or or, <laughs> or did did Doug in a lot of ways to bring it back to Doug? Um, prepare you for that it's like here's trevor dunn work with him you know like i i think that did he help normalize that element of these are all just musicians and we're all gonna work together you know um yeah yeah have you ever felt intimidated on that on that on that level of um it's bootsy collins uh, uh yeah definitely 100 (laughs) how can you not but i I do think that like exactly what you're saying like Doug did kind of normalize aspects of that um but also I I I didn't personally ever there is like you know when you think about like jazz music or like the Mm -hmm. kind of peripheral things that are associated with that there is a lot of like elitist sort of mentality and like competitiveness um but I never really got that from any of the people that Doug brought in uh Right. I, remember, I really felt intimidated when he brought in that band Tift. Um, they played a show at the Transac and like kind of opened it up to have some of the students improvise with them. And I was sort, I was like really intimidated in that experience. But at the same time, they're yeah. so welcoming. And even though they're in my mind like way higher level of what they're in in their craft, it yeah, it, it's still it's it's like eye opening to for them to like give off that feeling of like any, they can improvise with anybody and they're not going to like put themselves on the pedestal or whatever. And and that sort of translates to other aspects of, I mean, like I remember Colin, do you know Colin Stetson? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of his and David had the chance to record a few songs with him. And I was, that was extremely intimidating for me because he's like one of the contemporary saxophonists that I look up to most. And, um, he's a really like straight ahead guy. Like he, like he's done all his homework and, and, you know, like he's a very like diligent practicer and all this thing, all these things. So like 
for me, like, I just didn't think that I could even create anything that was like musically valid with him. But uh, when I met him and, yeah. and the, vibe, yeah. the vibe that he put on, it was like, I, this guy, this guy is like, he's a, a badass, but he's also like a sweetheart. So <laughs> yeah, it works out. Yeah. And then, and then coming out of those experiences, do you feel it? Do you feel that charge of like, all right, I'm a little bit stronger now that I've done that. Yeah, definitely. Because I, I think it's like going, I think through like touring with Bad Bad too, like that's an element that I all have always been like sort of scared of because we're like known as this jazz band, but um, which I think inherently there's just so much criticism that can be um, evolved with that, you know, like four younger white guys from Canada trying to tour like in the States where like, the music comes from i feel like there's just inherently all this criticism that can be associated with that and then it re- kind of requires you to build up some confidence about what you're bringing to the table and and yeah. to validate it in your own way and and present it in a way that is genuine and honest to you i guess yeah 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 i think uh there's footage of you backing most deaf in like south africa did that yeah. happen yeah, that happened. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. What was that like? Um, that was insane. We actually got to meet him like the, <laughs> night, the night prior to that. He invited us to his house to sort of talk about what we were going to do. But he ended up playing a bunch of like Sun Ra recordings that I had never heard before. <laughs> really? Um, but Incredible. He's, he's a very uh, controversial person in south africa i guess so when he came out on stage with us it was like a pretty polarized reception there's Whoa. i saw people like crying in the front row because they're so excited to see him and like a lot of people just immediately left um whoa i didn't realize that i think it's just partially because of like his, his like celebrity kind of status and like right. how a lot of people feel like he's hasn't really like contributed um much mm-hmm. to like the that was in Cape Town, much to like the, the Cape Town scene, I guess. Um, okay. Okay. But I, it's all, I don't, I can't speak too much on it. I don't know the exact reason, but I think he was like yeah. hiding out. <laughs> like he could, he was, couldn't go back to America for some reason. <laughs> so that's where he was like spending his time. When was but, that? That was, a, that was a few years back. That was in 2016. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so hanging out late at night, listening to Sun Ra records. Yeah. Fantastic. With, with most deaf in, in Cape town. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. All in there. It's all in there. Leland. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I, I just <laughs> love, I love hearing about these kind of experiences, right? Like I couldn't pit, paint a richer picture than, than that. Like that's, yeah. um, how, how beautiful is that? Um, well, thanks. Thanks for sharing these kind of things. Um, before we go, I really appreciate this interview. I'm going to reach out to your brothers. You've done fine, by the way. I just, I see this look on your face. You, yeah. It, it, don't, don't make this the last interview. Uh, oh, I'm sure it will be. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a joy, the, the last podcast you appear on. What a joy to, to hear your stories. And, mm-hmm. uh, and thanks for opening up. Um, any last, but I know we're going to play, an, are we safe? to play an unreleased track yeah yeah i 
I got the okay from the songwriter Jonah. Who is this? Who 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 are you collaborating with on this? So this song is called Monarch, and it's uh, the vocalist on it is Jonah Yano. Um, so we, I mean, he wrote the song, but I we kind of co-produced it, and it's on his upcoming record that's going to be coming out um, June nineteenth. Okay, so very yeah. soon, so you can check that out, Jonah Yano. Yeah. And um, uh, thanks. Before we play Monarch, we'll go out with Monarch. But before we play it, any last, just like a quick, the, the, the podcast is industry tactics. So I, what I want from you is just like the quick um, things that you want to impart on our listeners, anyone who's looking to get into music as to some of the things, quick things that you've learned. One of them is be on time. You were right on time for this interview. Nice. But uh, things, things like that, that you might even trace back to Doug, who is our focal point for this. For the, he's the reason why we're here, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Um, I guess, like, a, I mean, I don't know. This is just off the top of my head. That's, That's where we want to be. That class that I was talking about that, like, was, I guess, Doug's first kind of really experimental open curriculum kind of thing. We, we're, again, under the assumption that we'd be, like, the pit band for the musical at the end of the year. Um, yeah. But everything that he had sort of put forth in terms of like all the graphic scores and stuff had really <laughs> completely opened up my mind of like what music can be or can look like or sound like or whatever. And then yeah. by, the t- by the time at the end of the year, when we finally got around to playing the musical, the musical was called Anything Goes. And I opened the first page and the, the title page was just like the font Anything Goes with a bunch of empty staffs. And I, I legitimately thought that that was the piece that we were going to be playing, but it was just like a title page. <laughs> but it was just, and then I had just, like, every, everyone started playing like this, like really kind of traditional sounding standards. And then I like, realized I had to turn the page and that was the, the arrangement. It was just normal music notation. <laughs> <laughs> How but I, yeah. I don't know. I just, I guess like in that there's just anybody can create anything they want. Anything is valid as long as they find some like person. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> That that's perfect. I think ending on on that note of anything goes is just about right for me, Leland. Oh yeah. Thanks for your time, man. You stay safe. And, yeah, you too. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. We're gonna end with Monarch from the upcoming Jonah Yano release on June nineteenth. Check it out. Thanks, Cleveland. See ya. Thanks for having me. The best. Bye. Bye. Wasn't that a blast? Anything goes indeed. Thanks a lot, Leland, uh, for opening up. And some fantastic stories there. Really appreciated that. Uh, okay, let us know what you're thinking at Industry Tactics on Twitter. And uh, you can find more about my work at FriendlyRich.com. Please be in touch. Be safe. We love you all. This is an unreleased track, as we said. Monarch, enjoy it. This is Leland along with Jonah Yano, and uh, we'll see you again soon on Industry Tactics. Bye-bye. Monarch. 
Oh, no. 